This is message number five today in this series from Job, and it's a most interesting passage. What can we learn from time? Verse number seven says, Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. I would like to add to that two verses from the New Testament. One is Ephesians 5, verse 16, which says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. There are numbers of paraphrases to that verse. Phillips is, make the best use of your time. Another is, buy up every opportunity. Revelation 10, 6 is the other verse. The angel of the Lord stands, and he says, there should be time, no longer. There will be a day when you won't need the watch and the clock. Time should be no longer. But until then, it is one of the most important ingredients that we have. Elihu was a young man, verse 6 says, and he was reluctant to talk to Job because Job was older. But he had been listening to the three friends of Job in their conversation with him, and he was fed up. He had had it. They were a mile off as far as Elihu was concerned. And so he finally had courage to speak and said, I'm young, you are very old, Wherefore, I was afraid and dared not show you mine opinion. And then he begins giving his opinion, and the first thing he says is, Job, you have not learned anything from time. And that's tragic. Days should speak, Job, and multitude of years should teach you wisdom. Why haven't you smarted up by now? And he was right. His opinion was a good opinion. And that's what we want to focus on in our time together today. For a moment, let's play the game. What is it? What is it? It is something we all have. Some of us have a lot of it. Others have very little. Some of the poor people have plenty of it, and some of the rich may only have a little. No one knows just how much he has. You had to have it before you could attend this meeting. Without it, you could not live. We all use it every day. We would all like to have more of it. It can make you rich or poor depending upon how you use it. It will bring you happiness or sadness according to the way you use it. It will bring you many friends or enemies depending on the way you use it. Your whole life is governed by it. It has been in the world since the beginning. Someday there will be no more of it. What is it? Of course, it is time. We treat few things more illogically than we treat time. We treat few things in life more foolishly than we treat time. We covet it like misers and waste it like spendthrifts. Lucius Seneca, the Roman philosopher, observed as he watched people and the progress of time, 
We are always complaining that our days are few and at the same time acting as if they would never end. Now, you don't need to be a philosopher to come up with a conclusion like that. You don't even need to be very smart. All you have to do is follow the advice of Elihu in Job. I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. I want to make a statement today in this message that I hope you will never forget. Here it is. Time belongs to God. Time belongs to God. It does not belong to man. It belongs to God. Having forgotten that time belongs to God, we have developed some disorders in life. You know what some of those disorders are? Some of those disorders are in this service today, very much present. One of them is nervous disorder. The majority of nervous disorders are caused because we forget that time belongs to God. Why do you think Jesus said, don't be anxious for tomorrow? Tomorrow will take care of the things of itself. Look for the things of today. Don't be anxious. But because we have gotten the idea that time belongs to us, we get nervous disorders and we have intense problems. There are some of you that can't make a decision in the morning before you have so many cups of coffee or something else. And I wouldn't even care to think of what that might be. Time belongs to God. Let me tell you about another disorder because we forget that. It's stomach disorder. Some of you before coming to church today had to take Rolaids or Pepto-Bismol or something to quiet your stomach. You know there are so many stomach problems in America today. You know why? Because we have forgotten time belongs to God. We're anxious. We need to learn this great lesson that Elihu wanted Job to see long ago. Nervous disorders, nervous stomachs, nervous attacks. Why? Time for most everything but God. That's why. How much time have you spent this week for God? Do you know that as much of the Bible deals with the subject of time as it does with the subject of the tithe? God wants one-tenth of our money and one-seventh of our time. But we get so proud of ourselves when we give him one hour. You lucky person, God, I was there for an hour today. And God looks back at you and says, you're a fool and you're going to have a disorder because the law I set up was one-seventh. And that means 24-hour day. 
We call it the Lord's Day. And yet we give him a little bit of time and we think we've fulfilled our obligation and go on with our disorders. Elihu was reminding Job of this fact. How much time have we had for God this week? You've read the Sacramento Union or the Sacramento Bee, but you didn't have time for the B-I-B-L-E. That fit in nice. That didn't come to me before. <laughs> time for everything but God. I was really pleased Wednesday night at the crowd here at church. I think there were almost a thousand people here on Wednesday night. That would be my guess. And it was great. But what about some of the rest? Time for this, time for that, any time for God. Job should learn how to react because of his experience with time. Day should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. I have only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it, give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. Whoever wrote those lines found one of the greatest secrets that we could ever discover. I want to talk to you today about time. First of all, time is broken up into periods, just like sports events, depending on what event. Baseball games have innings. High school basketball games have four eight-minute quarters. College games are two 20-minute halves. They're all broken up into periods of time. And so it is with God. Time is broken into periods. The tick-tick of God's timepiece has been steadily marking the march of mankind through the first 6,000 years of history, or six days. How long is time, somebody asks. In creation, it was seven days. Six weekdays and a Sabbath. God worked out his creative plan in six days and rested on the seventh day. The sixth day, or the 6,000th year, is drawing to a close right now. Then will come the seventh day, the day of rest. I doubt that many of you have ever seen this in history, so I want to run you through it this morning. I'd walk you through, but I haven't that much time. I'll have to run you through it. The first day is the creation of man, a day of innocence. Adam and Eve were in the garden enjoying everything that God had made, and it was beautiful and abundant. God communed with them in the cool of the day. But sin darkened the earth and drove them from that garden. The serpent entered the garden, and he was not a slimy, slithy thing at that point. He was a beautiful creature. It was after the curse was pronounced that he went on his belly in the dust. 
but he was a beautiful creature when he came to Adam and Eve in their day of innocence. They listened to him. They followed his suggestions. It looked like God's program was torpedoed, but in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 15, God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The first promise of redemption in Genesis 3.15, a projection for man who had failed God in his test. A redeemer was coming. The day of innocence ended as the second day dawned. The second day is the day of conscience, a day deeply cast in sin, but in its beginning lived a man that loved God. His name was Enoch. Chapter 5 of Genesis talks about Enoch, who lived to be 365 years of age. Isn't that interesting? How many days in the year? Enoch lived 365 days and was not, for God took him. One day he went out for a walk and just walked right into heaven. He did not die. There are so many types in the Old Testament, and this is one of those types. He did not die. He walked into the presence of God after his year was over. Now, Enoch had a son. Enoch's son was Methuselah. Methuselah is the oldest man that ever lived. He lived 989 years. That's a long time. Noah lived in the second day also. The ark was completed, and the gangplank of salvation led to the door, and Noah went in with his family and were saved because of the gangplank of salvation God showed him. Another type of the gangplank of the cross which is laid between heaven and earth, and we get on that cross and walk into the presence of God if we trust Jesus who died on that cross. We're saved as we enter the ark of God's salvation. In the second day was Babel. The Bible says, let us build a tower as high as heaven so that we can climb up and see whether there is a God up there. So they went to work on building their tower. How would you stop such a project? God has a great sense of humor. He could have just swept down there and knocked it down flat. But he's more clever than that. The fellows came to work one morning. I can just see them coming with their lunch buckets. And the foreman gets out there, and he's going to tell the men what to do, and he starts talking, and nobody understood him. It's like a new language. Somebody speaks up to answer him, and he can't understand him. So another one speaks up and can't understand him. So they go to the head man of the project, and and they try to say, what's going on? And nobody can get through to him what's the matter. He starts asking them questions, and they can't understand him. God confounded their language. And so they said, what's the use? We can't understand each other. We'd better go out on our own, and so they scattered and left that thing undone. Isn't God smart? And one day when we stand in God's presence, it says they will sing a new song, and I see this as just the way God's going to do it for us. We won't have to learn in college 
a language. God's just going to zip something into our cranium up here and we'll know how to talk to each other all the same language. He did it with them. He just went zip and they got all mixed up. Talked a new language. Went out and had to write their own dictionaries. Won't it be wonderful in heaven when we all speak the same language and won't have to go to school to find out what it means? God is a great God. The work stopped because no one could understand what another one wanted. Then Abraham and Isaac came along. Abraham was to raise up a nation, and Isaac was born, a promised son. Then came Sodom and Gomorrah. The second day ended in sorrow. The cities of the plain were destroyed because of the great sin that were in those cities, that was in those cities. The second day ends on that note. The third day of God's time peace is the day of the law. It dawned when Joseph was led into Egypt that he might lead out the children of Israel, marvelously preserved by God, elevated in the kingdom by God. Then Moses was called after the period of bondage to lead the children of Israel out. The Ten Commandments were given during that third day. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness because of unbelief. They could not enter into the promised land until after that forty years. Then Joshua led the children of Israel in after Moses died in the mountain. And David came, the sweet singer of Israel, and his son Solomon who built the temple. And the temple was dedicated to God. And the glory filled the tabernacle and the temple of God. And the third day came to an end. Then the fourth day, the day of the law and the prophets, it began with Isaiah and ended with Malachi. On the altars of Israel appeared a lamb again and again, leading to the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You could hear the bleating of the lamb over and over again for the sins of the people. During that fourth day of law and prophets, teaching to the children of Israel of God's way and God's word, drawing them back into repentance after their sin. Law and prophets, law and prophets, the bleating of the Lamb on the altar, awaiting the Lamb of God. Then that period of silence between the Testaments and the fifth day began, the day God cut time in the middle, B.C., A.D., before Christ, after Christ, the day from which we date our years. Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Tick-tock, tick-tock, the sound of the clock of time in the fullness of time. God sent forth his Son made of a virgin, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. The fifth day, the day of redemption. He died on a cross. He was raised from the tomb. He ascended into heaven after telling them to go to the upper room. And Pentecost came. The church began. Power was given. Thousands were added to the family. And then persecution. The church was scattered to the ends of the earth. And then apostasy set in after that great time of Pentecostal revival. And the dark ages ensued. And the fifth day ends with the dark ages. 
sad time. The sixth day dawned, the day of restoration. The day of Martin Luther, John Knox, John Calvin, Wesley, Booth, Spurgeon, Moody, messages of restoration all over the world. Men were raised up to preach the word of God and righteousness and call the people back to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The doctrine of salvation was restored in the sixth day. And then the doctrine of the Holy Spirit when at the break of this century in Azusa Street and in Topeka, Kansas, people praying through the night hour as a new decade and a new century began, they began speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And in Wales, all the taverns closed because the churches were packed. And in the New Hebrides and throughout other parts of the world, a great revival sprang forth a revival of restoration. The church was again on the map the sixth day. I received a take this week from my friend Dan Betzer, a revival time speaker. It was a tape 40 years old of Amy Semple McPherson. I'd never heard her voice before, but I listened with great interest in my car as I was driving about the voice of Amy Semple McPherson from Angelus Temple in Los Angeles. Amy Semple McPherson said that in five years, approximately 50,000 people, not counting the children, wept their way through to Christ at the altar of Angelus Temple in Los Angeles. A day of restoration, a revival. And it's going on today, all over the world. In Brazil, the born-again rate, faster than the birth rate. In Korea, when I was there a few years ago to preach for Yonggi Cho, I preached in the morning when he had 30,000 members. Today, he has 130,000 members. Not because I preached there. Well, what an experience it was, a, a church seating 10,000 people. You preach your heart out, and he takes you down a stairway into his office, gives you a piece of toast and a cup of tea, and he says, let's go back and do it again. You go back up and do it again. You're almost dead, and you go back and have a piece of toast and drink a little tea and go out, let's do it again. I was done for. A revival, unprecedented revival. And what about our revival? I was with some folk last night, and one of our men said, you know, we talk about revival. We're in revival. And people are calling from all over the place, wanting to know about what's happening here. How can you baptize over 600 people in two years? How can 500 people join the church in two years? How can the income increase from a half a million to a million and a half in two years? How can you go from 700 to 3,000 in two years without an evangelist? They want to know that. And that's what keeps me going. I've got so many calls, they want me to come, and I can't go everywhere. It's impossible. I try to take days off and go share the story of what God is doing, and I just can't keep up with it. So I send them tapes. 
So the tapes go all over the world. Why? It's a day of restoration. It's the sixth day. It's God's plan. Joel said it. Peter said it. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And it's happening everywhere. They thought the church was done for in China. The church isn't done for in China. It's very much a lie. Those foolish people in Russia think that if they just stamp out the fire here, that'll be it, but it just jumps up over here, and it jumps up over here, and jumps up over there. Have you ever tried to stamp out a fire? It just jumps up all over the place. It's the way it was in Acts, and that's the way it is today. It's a day of restoration. It's a day of revival. Thank God that we can be a part of it. If you're not excited in your spirit, I don't understand you. To see God's miracles. I looked out here a while ago and I spotted people throughout this audience whose marriages were apart a few weeks ago and now they're sitting together holding hands in church. Hallelujah. I look around and see men who are alcoholics now delivered, marvelously delivered. People in tune with God investing their life, their money, their time in the kingdom of God. There's a revival on If you're not a part of it, get in it. It's a day of restoration. It's the sixth day. Then the seventh day comes. God's day. Every day has its sunset. Every year runs out to December and dies its wintry death. Youth is fleeting, its springtime fast melts, its blossoms fade and fall. Each period vanishes never to return. Our opportunities are right now. The sixth day will not last forever. God's seventh day is not far off. Time is broken into periods. Now, I'm not here to tell you when Jesus is going to return other than to say I believe it will be in this generation. I don't see how it can be otherwise from what I've shared with you and what he himself said. When you see these things come to pass, then look up for your redemption draweth nigh. What things? The blossoming of the fig tree, Israel. Wars and rumors of wars. Men lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure more than God. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. When you see all of those things, then look up. It's about time for the seventh day. And may I remind you, we are in the year 1980. Twenty more years before another thousand years begin. Could it be? Some of the experts say, I won't give you that long. I'll give you till 1983. 1985 at the most. I am not here to say that. We might be here when the year 2000 dawns. If we are, I believe we're going to be in a hail of smoke and fire and revival. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then you which are alive and remain. That means more than physical life. That means spiritually alive. Those of you who are spiritually alive and remain, you're going to be caught up the seventh day. Remember when I came here, I congratulated you? I said, you're going to be the first ones up in the rapture, and you smiled. I said, it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> and that wasn't nice. I've apologized for that. 
but it woke some of you up that Sunday. Your head, which was back, and your mouth was open, came down. And I think there's more life now. I just sort of feel that. And I say, hallelujah for that. He's coming for those who are alive and remain. And if it should be 2,000, I think it will be a year of fantastic power and authority for the church of Jesus Christ. We're not going to go out like a wounded duck. We're going to go up like a torpedo. Hallelujah. A rocket into the heavens. Our opportunities are now, the sixth day before the seventh day begins. Second point is the sin of procrastination has to be dealt with as we look at these periods of time. Procrastination is putting off till later. Have any of you been guilty of when somebody asks you, what are you doing? You've said, just killing time. Oof. Naughty, naughty, naughty. <laughs> the Lord said, thou shalt not kill. If time is God's, we have no right wasting it or putting off till tomorrow that which should be done today. Procrastination is not just a word we've coined. It's a sin before God. How do you avoid this sin? Can I give you four little things I do to avoid the sin of procrastination? Here are some of my practical helps. You've come to be helped, haven't you? Number one, plan your time. I don't know of any other way. Plan your time. List the tasks that need to be done. And you know what should be at the top of the list? The chore you dread the most. Face it head on by doing it first. Don't let it be carried over until tomorrow. Say every day, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. They do the worst thing first. And the day gets easier as you go along. It's exciting when you plan your day. Plan your time. Control your time. Don't let it control you. And you'll not sin. Secondly, invest time. Invest time. How do you do that? Well, let me just illustrate it from my own experience. When I was in high school, I decided to take typing. I invested hours of my time to learn to type, and I am an excellent typist. I am. There's just no question about it. I'm good. And I have saved hundreds and hundreds of hours because I learned to type. I invested a few hours to save hundreds of hours. I type all my own notes. I think good at the typewriter. I can just sit down there and reel things off. Just come out just beautiful. You invest time so that you can save time. Hey, organize your house. Organize your desk, your office, your garage. All of that can be an investment of time. Invest your time. 
If you don't, you're sinning. It's a procrastination. It's a loss of time that God has invested in you. Third thing is to buy time, redeem the time, buy up every opportunity. Do you know it's possible to save money and squander time? Now, I love to get out and mow the lawn, work in the yard if I have the time. I love to wash the car when the sun is shining. It's just good to get out. I don't get that opportunity much. But there are times when I am wiser to pay a boy to mow the lawn and to run my car through the five-minute car wash than to spend an hour out there washing it or two hours to mow the lawn. I buy time. It would be foolish to do that myself because I have more important things to do that day. That's what the disciples did when they sought themselves deacons in the church because they were so in need of giving time to the work of the ministry. So they appointed deacons to take care of the tables and the widows. Buying time. And the fourth is to set priorities. Let's face this fact. There's not enough time in this world to do everything that you want to do. There is not enough time. You organize on a priority basis. Instead of letting a mob of hoodlum tasks surround and trample me to death, I force them in a single file and handle them one at a time. And anyone can fight that kind of a battle and win. It's when you look at the hundred things unorganized, not prioritized, that you are defeated. When you set your priorities and say, this I must do by the grace of God, I will do it, you're on your way to victory and not to sin anymore. And some of you are under such a guilt trip because of the way you use your time. You didn't get half the things done this week. You should have gotten done. Because when you went out to get the wood, the chicken ran in front of you and you started after the chicken. And before you caught the chicken, you saw that the sheet fell off the line and you went to pick up the sheet. And when you picked up the sheet, you heard the baby crying and dropped the sheet and ran to the baby. And you never did get the wood carried in. It was something like that, I'm sure. <laughs> now, the greater sin is putting God off. Lot did it. When he got so enamored with Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says, while he lingered. That statement's in Genesis, while he lingered. You know what? The angel of the Lord had to grab him by the arm and drag him out of Sodom because of the prayers of Abraham, or he would have perished in the city while he lingered. Felix, in Acts 24, 25, said to Paul, Go thy way for this time. When I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. Never got around to it. The disciples faced this. Jesus talked to them over and over again on this subject. Matthew 8, 21 and 22. Luke chapter 9, 61, 62. Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. He said in John 4, 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, then cometh harvest. Have you ever watched games, sports events? I'm a sports nut, so I can use these illustrations. I've observed it over and over again. The clock is winding down. Both teams are enthusiastic 
about their opportunity. And suddenly the clock hits that upper point and the gun sounds. That's when to study the people. Jubilation for some. Helmets go up in the air. Ball gloves fly everywhere. People jumping up and down. But look to the other side of the field. Dejection. Sorrow. Devastation for others. In the recent playoff games between Philadelphia and Houston, I got to watch the end of one of those games. It was the last game between Philadelphia and Houston. I was interested because my boy's in Houston and I knew it would affect him and I want him to be happy. But he wasn't happy because Houston lost and it was in the Astrodome and they went into the locker room and boy, they were interviewing the Phillies, how they won and they were going to the World Series and then a unique thing happened on television. Some producer really a sharp guy, ordered that the camera out on the field be turned back on. It fanned the stands and they were empty. Nobody there. Fanned the field. Nobody on the field. And then it zeroed in in the dugout and sitting all alone in the dugout was a Houston ball player looking out on that empty field and into those empty stands. That's what I'm talking about. There was no tomorrow. It was over. No World Series. Every dream dashed and the camera caught it so magnificently. I have seen massive football players huddled on a bench with their head in their hands, sobbing like babies because the clock ended the game and they lost. No tomorrow. I would like to conclude my mes message by mentioning the end that will never come the righteous law of God, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall never pass away. The love of God, which lasts forever. The songwriter picked it up and wrote that beautiful song. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And the kingdom of God, the revelator said, Thy kingdom is forever. The angel said, Time shall be no more. Days should speak, Elihu said, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Paul said, Redeem the time, because the days are evil. The angel said, Time shall be no more. The seventh day is upon us, dear friends. Your pastor speaks to you this morning and says, Cut off the idle conversations. Sacrifice a little sleep. Spend a little less time in your recreation. Learn something from the ticking of your watch today. You are not here forever. You're getting ready for the kingdom. 
thy fear, lest overcome by surfeiting and drunkenness and desire, the sixth day will end we shall be found wanting. Hear the word of the Lord today. Now is the accepted time. A thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Job 7, 6, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Elihu was a wise young man. Day should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom, Job. Learn from the ticking of your watch. Once in Persia reigned a king who upon his signet ring graved a maxim true and wise which if held before the eyes gave him counsel at a glance, fit for every change and chance. Solemn words, and these are they, even this shall pass away. What can we learn from time? Time is broken into periods. Procrastination is sin. Order your life better, and the greatest sin of all is putting God off. Now, today is the accepted time. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Praise be to God. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to deal with eternity today. Let us not lose this moment of opportunity. Come to this assembly of people and teach us about time. Save the lost. Be merciful to them. Help the weak. Strengthen them. Forgive us all for wasting time and opportunity. Forgive fathers who have not been spending quality time with their children. Forgive people who have not been giving quality time to the church and to you, Lord. Oh, teach us about time. The Lord thy God speaks to you about time. The Lord thy God gives you this moment of opportunity to repent, to believe the gospel. 
to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now is the accepted time, says the Lord. Today is the day of opportunity, and today is the day of restoration. Enter into today.